Hi, I'm Bjorn Roberts. I'm Jess Fishlock. This is Owen Singer Jones. I'm Owen Vaughan Williams. This is Tash Harden. And you are listening to the Home of Delivery Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am here as ever with Ruth. Hello, Ruth, how are you? All right, good morning. Good morning, indeed. Um, we are going to talk about the friendly game against England, the Nations League game against Ireland in Dublin, and of course the win against Bulgaria in Sofia. Uh, concentrating mainly on the Bulgaria game and some bigger picture issues that uh, that arose from the three games. Um, Ruth, first of all, uh, what did you think of the Bulgaria game? Well, I mean, obviously a, a better performance. It was actually a watchable game of football, which given what we've been suffering the last six weeks or so uh, that was I mean it was actually a fairly enjoyable game all, th- all things considered clearly we you know we had to do a lot of moving around a lot of rejigging the it was interesting to see a new formation I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more another new cap um, some people in you know used in slightly different ways all in all I thought there was a, a lot of, obviously a lot more positives to take from from that game than the the earlier two. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you there. I thought it was a much better performance. It was a much more watchable game of football compared to the other two. Um, and whilst it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, I do think there were a lot more positives to take from it. Um, we'll start with the with the formation that you mentioned there. Um, basically, like a three four three. We didn't have a centre forward through Hal and Moore uh, having various issues. Um, sort of Roberts and James sort of played up front I guess notionally um, with Wilson in behind and then a midfield holding two really of Smith and Ampadu um, with the back five that we we're a bit more accustomed to under under Coleman. On the whole I thought it worked pretty well and I do think it utilised some of the more attacking threat that we have in other players in different ways. So for example obviously Nico Williams I thought this role suited him a lot and I thought Norrington Davis was you know for a debut was very very good um, it allowed Wilson to get onto the ball it allowed Ampadu to kind of dominate well maybe not dominate the game but certainly kind of take control of the game um, and, f- and in that aspect I thought it worked well and I also thought Dan James uh, you know he tailed off to be fair but I thought he looked better in the first half he was kind of bright and energetic and again it kind of allowed him to play where he wanted which I think suits him in his pace. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to go back to the the three four three because you know Giggs had had started really in <clears throat> in his earlier games with that sort of formation, and it never really felt like it worked wonderfully. Um, and I think the difference here, perhaps, was making that front three a little bit narrower, bringing James in particular more inside than he might be used to playing. And I agree with you. I thought his, his there was a bit more verve to his game in the first half than we've seen recently. Although I do think he made some errors, kind of um, almost like spatial awareness was that little bit drawn in from yeah. the sideline than he normally plays. And there was you know there were some errors he made around that, that. But it was good to see him just a bit more engaged and involved in games than than we've been before. And I think clearly if Iggs knew he wanted to go down this particular route and try, you know, return to this as a potential plan B or an option. Um, then being able to put Nico and, and uh, Norrington Davis into into positions that they're clearly very comfortable with 
despite their their use. And I think that all sort of came together, ironically, much more by happen chance. And as you say, the suspensions and the and the injuries got us to this point. But I actually think it served it served a purpose to to enable us to return to that formation against a team where having running at them um, uh, fullbacks obviously work to our advantage. Yeah, it's interesting, really. I've been calling out for some sort of kind of tactical plan B, if you like, for a while. Um, and I think this is probably what it looks like we would go for. We've often asked what would happen if Moore got injured. And I think, again, this is the sort of thing that we would go to. And I've and I got to be honest, I, I'd be very happy with that. If you consider the amount of people missing tonight uh, for that game, sorry, I, I think it would really suit us as a as a, as a plan B and a variety option if you like against other teams and if more is being nullified for example um, then I think this could be an interesting and uh, sensible way to use the players we had so from that perspective I thought it worked really well and again I mean you think of the players we had missing for this game to come out with a performance and and, and then the victory that we did I, I did think great gigs after you know we were Certainly, I was harsh on him for the first two games. I, I think he does deserve credit for, for making the changes that he did there. Um, just a quick word on Nico Williams. I, I've seen mixed reviews on him. Some people saying, I saw one person on Twitter say he couldn't uh, trap a bang, bag of sand, which I thought was a bit harsh in the first half, but um, grew into the game. I personally thought he was, I mean, it was by no means, you know, the perfect performance, but I thought he was excellent considering his age and the situation. Um, he was up and down that right-hand side all night. He obviously provided the assist. Um, he looked comfortable on the ball in, in kind of tight situations. And I just wondered what you thought. In fairness, I thought everybody was kind of a six or seven out of ten performance. They were, they were all doing everything they needed to without anybody being particularly stellar. But, you know, that, that makes for good team football. Yeah. Uh, I thought... I thought both he and Reese Norrington Davis played actually very well, given their age, their inexperience, um, their um, unfamiliarity with that with that squad, with the people they were playing with. I, I don't think we can be critical. You can't expect people to go out and, and suddenly be shining lights in games like this. It's much more important that they are contrib- contributors and are... Also, you know, they both had defensive responsibilities, not huge, admittedly, but they both did have defensive responsibilities. So I think it's important that we that they didn't get too gung-ho either. Um, you know, this, the, the inexperience of, of that team that we started with is amazing when you, when you look at it. I mean, I, I pinched a, a couple of stats off the internet. So thanks to Welsh Dragon and, and Hugh Davies for, the, for these two, but they were particularly striking. You know, when... Ampadu has got the third most minutes out of the players on that on that field, obviously behind Ben Davies and, and Wayne Hennessy. And you look at relatively how little game time he's played. And then Wilson is your at 23 is the third oldest player <laughs> on that field. Yeah. Then you know, you've, you, it really puts into perspective how inexperienced and, and young the, t- the team was. Um, so I think it, it, you end up being a little bit nitpicky, I think, if you, if you start to sing, single out individuals within that framework. 
I would also add to that as well. I mean, I, I think it's worth pointing out that he was there to play wing back, as was Norrington Davis. And I think if you are playing a wing, if you are a wing back, kind of part of the role is leaving that gap in behind you, and the third centre half comes over and kind of deals with it. I think that's part and parcel of playing wing backs. Um, and I think you know, no one's saying that he's Trent Alexander Arnold or Roberto Carlos on the other side in Reese Norrington Davis's. They would just kind of up and down all night and I thought they provided you know like you said gung-ho they weren't gung-ho but they provided excellent balance I thought um, and I thought Norrington Davis in particular I thought his energy up and down that left-hand side was fantastic and you know we'll get onto a wider picture of the squad and stuff soon but I mean he's done his his um, his chances of being involved in the next in the next camp and obviously further forward no harm whatsoever um, one person I was interested to know just your thoughts on in general um, because obviously he started the England game and then came on against Bulgaria was Rabi Matondo um, I said I thought that he didn't do very well I thought against England I thought he looked a little bit lost like the game was above him and I do think he provided a perfect example of the 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 frustration I have with him, and I'm sure others do as well, whereby he came on in the second half against Bulgaria and at one point picked up the ball kind of almost on the edge of his own box, jinxed, jinked past about five people, and then he's had two easy options either side of him, chosen neither of them, and then played Johnny Williams in when he's, when he's just taken himself a, a hair's breadth offside. Um, that kind of sums him up, I think, for me. And I, and I just wonder what you think, because for me, he's, he's not ready for international football. I know it's going to take time to kind of grow into it. But he's not there yet for me, and I and I just and I just wonder if what's going to have to happen for him to kind of add that maturity and correct decision making to his game. I think you're right. I think he's a bit of an enigma. He definitely had more impact in this game than the than the England game, even in the you know the relatively short amount of time he was he was on the field. Um, I think it's increasingly clear that it is that decision-making stuff that's that's the issue. I mean, his engine's good, he's busy, he's involved. There were times when I think collectively we looked a little unnecessarily hurried in the game um, when we had a bit, perhaps a bit more time to thread that last pass. And I think I don't think he was the only one guilty of that. Oh no, not at all. To be honest, um, but I agree with you. I do think it's the the reading of the play and the the what the right sort of percentage next ball to go with, um, and I, I think that really only comes with experience. I think that's one of the, one of the attributes that you you need to experience in games. I think that's something that's actually quite difficult to train because it's it's in that moment of the game where you've got to make that split split moment decision. Um, and I, I imagine that from a coaching point of view, that's actually very difficult to mimic in training sessions. Yeah. So I, I think he's a classic, a classic scenario of someone who needs who needs game time. And um, and I know there was thoughts at one point, probably about three or four weeks ago, when it looked like Schalke might be moving him on. Um, that's gone quiet again. Uh, so. I, I think he's where he is at the minute, and yeah, unfortunately, so. the amount of playing time he's getting, it's 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 not really helping that part of his part of his play. It's a difficult balance to strike, I suppose, because ultimately, like you say, you can't mimic the the circumstances in training as much. So you need that person to have game time. But then, if you give them game time and they still don't improve their decision making and their um, uh, 
their thought process, I guess, when they're on the pitch in those attacking positions, it becomes difficult to then uh, validate keeping, giving them game time because at some point, you know, it's not about gaining experience. It's, it's you're actively making the wrong decision. So it is quite a tricky balance to find actively making the wrong decision. It is obviously very harsh, but um, it's, it's difficult. It must be difficult to find that balance for club and, and certainly for country. I mean, we're fortunate that we have a relative amount of depth in that situation. And, you know, as our attacking players go, he's probably fifth fifth or so on the list, depending on how you chop it up. So um, he's got to do something at regularly at club level, I think, to kind of be able to earn the chance to get back into the side at international level. And every time I've seen him for Schalke and, and then latterly for Wales, he's not really produced that that kind of end, end product, which is very frustrating. So I hope that he doesn't get that. And I hope that he does, you know, manage to get himself back involved at Schalke. Like you say, the move seems to have fallen through a little bit and, and nothing's come of that so hopefully that won't uh, that won't continue um just to look at obviously the the goal and the and the winner and and the the situation around that obviously fantastically happy for johnny williams it's a unbelievably good finish um and some of the videos with you know it's quite weird obviously the no crowd there but you can really hear the players and the things they say and everything else um I just really want to focus on the lateness of the goal because obviously we scored a very late winner against Bulgaria in Bul- in Cardiff. Sorry, obviously this is a fairly late winner now. I think it was 85th minute. We scored an 84th minute, I think, goal against Finland. Um, and that kind of resilience, that almost Manchester Unitedness, which we, we have... Um, is is really good to see. And I, and I don't ever th- remember a Wales team certainly in my lifetime anyway, having that sort of resilience where they'd keep going to the end. And I really do think that that's a mentality thing that Giggs has is installed in the players. I think it's a small sample, but, you know, you you can't deny that there's a, a pattern there in, the, in, those, in those three wins with the late goals. And I think particularly in the away games, it, you know, there's a, there's a point when you think, a point where you think a point here is actually a good result. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think the fact that they kept looking for a winner is, um, it, as you say, it's a sign of resilience, it's a sign of determination. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's also a sign of just being fit enough to keep going for 95 odd minutes, whatever it might end up being. Um, I'd like to return to the, to the actual goal, though, because I, I do think that was a really well-worked overload. And I think, you know, some of the one-touch passing and, and the space, really, like some of the space that Roberts made, um, it, was, it was just a great goal. Yeah. Brilliant cross, very well finished. What, also, what you mentioned about uh, being able to hear the players, it was actually, I mean, much as it would have been great to have had a crowd there, it was interesting and rather enjoyable to to actually hear that, be able to hear their reaction, doesn't it? Um, And we all love Johnny. There's there's, nobody can tell me we don't love Johnny. Um, The point you made about the late goals, I had a a quick look at um, how how we scored goals within the actual Euro qualifying games. And we scored 10 in total. I mean, we scored nine and we had an own goal, but we scored 10 in total. And interestingly, only three of those were in the second half. Oh, really? the, re- the, remaining set, the remaining seven were first half goals. So it's, I, you know, so that, that struck me as an interesting pattern that we, 
we weren't perhaps finishing off gate, you know, showing that determination to turn one nil wins into two nil wins mm. previously. Um, so I like I like the attitude change that these late goals seem, seem to indicate. No, that's really I, that's a very good point. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that actually, and and I. And I do remember us saying previously that we seem to have had a lot of good starts in games, and I think that's shown. Um, but obviously now it's, it's maybe the resilience is, is coming out the other side as well, which is, again, is, a, is obviously a good trait and a good combination. Um, does Johnny make the Euro squad? Assuming all is fit and well, does Johnny make the squad? I think I would be taking him because I, I like the versatility. I mean, he, you know, he said himself in the post-game interview that Giggs had told him to go on and be a false nine and he'd never played false nine <laughs> at all. And here he is in an international, deliver, international game delivering. So I think there is scope for a player that you can play from anywhere from false nine back to holding in theory. Yeah. And so I, I would like to see him there because I think the variety of things you can ask him to do could actually be really valuable within the 23 squad. I mean, I'd have to sit down and look at who that means isn't going. Um, and there might, there might be questions around that. But I, I think his adaptability and the fact that you just get 120% out of him, I can, I can see that being really valuable. Well, as luck would have it, Ruth, <laughs> it's almost as if we've planned this. I have sat down and looked at whether, you know, at, at my squad, in inverted commas, and, and who would make it. Um, and it's actually really interesting because looking at it, I don't think Johnny does for me. Just purely on the numbers of of who you would need in certain positions, Um I'm desperately trying to pad while I wait for my uh, Excel spreadsheet to open. <laughs> but um, it, it's really interesting to me because I, I made a squad up of three goalkeepers and then two players in every position just as a, as a rough balance and, and ended up taking out a midfielder to put in an extra um, centre forward, assuming we need three centre forwards. And I was actually really interested at the list of people who missed out. And, and Johnny was probably on the on the fence sort of thing and he was kind of on and off um and amongst some other kind of relatively big names as well um which kind of leads me to my next point really which is looking through that when i started doing that exercise i couldn't help but think we have ended up as it happens with quite a bloated squad uh, to an extent in that we've you know or is it good depth that we've got you know players who've come in in this window who in all likelihood you know, Matondo, um, for example, being one of them, who probably won't go to the Euros? I think there's a difference, really, between... A, do you have a bloated squad or are you embedding new players and the process of embedding new players creates a bloated squad? I think that... Um, it's possible for both of those things to be happening. You know, you can be a, a, a squad in transition and hence be looking at more players than you might otherwise do and be tinkering more than you might otherwise do, but still 
really have a fundamental 16, 18 that are your your core of your your squad. Um, I mean, I do think there's, you know, people that, there's going to be someone on the plane, probably multiple people on the plane next summer who, if it, if the Euros had happened on schedule, would not have been on the plane. I would agree. And I, and I, and I think Giggs is looking, looking not just ahead at next summer, but I do think he's looking towards the World Cup. I mean, ultimately, qualifying us for a World Cup is... That's what's really going to make his mark, isn't it? And so I think he is juggling all possibilities at this point when in some respects it really doesn't matter if we, if our squad is markedly different in November than it's been in October, than it's been in September. It doesn't really matter come next summer. Um, it might in terms of the point you were making in your blog about some partnerships. I think there's some key points on the field where the tinkering is having an impact. Um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's an either or here in the sense of are you managing a squad in transition or are you over chopping and changing? I think you can be doing both ironically i mean it's an interesting one there's an element of me that definitely thinks he is chopping and changing too much certainly on the field in terms of partnerships i made that point in my blog i think that ahead of this window mepham rodden rodden uh lockyer and lockyer mepham have only played together as any combination of those two or three times which when you consider how many times they've been around the squad um is really interesting and then Add into that that you know you've got defenders, Chester Lawrence, who could have been in this squad, considering we only had three actual centre halves and haven't been in this squad. Um, then you kind of jumble all those extras in, like Cabango and, and and others. It it does I think creates a perhaps unsettling feel, and I wonder if that is something that is kind of permeating through the squad to an extent. Because I know that one of our big things was togetherness in the past, and I'm not suggesting that we've lost that. But I do think it must be difficult to kind of keep regenerating, if you like, the squad, what feels like every single time we have a squad. Um, And again, and I I say bloated is is probably a bit harsh, but I do think there's players that we're talking about, you know, who who probably shouldn't be part of the conversation. You know, like I've said before, I don't think Johnson, Brennan Johnson and uh, Ben Woodburn should have been part of this. Longer term, I don't think Matondo has possibly actually gained that much dis- despite having some game time. Um, and then there's some others there that you're looking at. I'm just looking through my list now, like Levitt is another one. Is he going to go to the Euros? And I know it's not all about the Euros, but this year it's kind of is. Well, I, I don't think he is. You know, is he going to get in above... Uh, Johnny or uh, Matt Smith or Morell or and Alan when obviously Alan hopefully returns. Well, I, I don't see that happening. And if and if Giggs is thinking that, then I think that's a really bad decision. So I think maybe bloated is a bit harsh, like I say, but I, I think there's an element of we may now have almost too many players that we're trying to fit into a squad and a team that probably aren't good enough already. Like Levitt for me isn't ready. He should be playing under 21's football. Um, 
and I don't think he gained anything out of this experience other than the fact he's you know he's get he's got some game time. Um, and I and I do wonder if there's a bit too much going on rather than it being a bloated squad, perhaps. I agree with you, but I th- I think what's happened is we've ended up perhaps bloated in some parts of the field and not in others. Like the fact that we we went into this series of three games with three centre-backs, one of whom gigs all but openly admitted that Cabango wasn't, didn't have the experience to be playing in these games. Then... And then very few forward players, yet loads and loads and loads of wingers slash midfielders. And I think and a player equivalent to Levitt, who was a centre-back, would not have got the attention that Levitt has got. And yet we don't really need more midfielders. Yeah. So I think the, the bloatedness is weird um, I do think there were some very strange decisions made about this squad, particularly with the restrictions around COVID. You knew that if you needed, for argument's sake, an extra striker after the Ireland game, because you you knew Moore was carrying a a yellow card. Yeah. You you ha- you had to have called that player up immediately. Hal notified about the broken arm because you had to be able to get those people through COVID protocols. So what I found weird about the emphasis in this squad was not so much the number of players, but how it was organised across the field and the, the strange reticent to a, reticence to address the gaps and the issues immediately they came up because you had to act quickly in this window. You couldn't be calling people up late. So you were far better off going in with 28.30 initially that you know had passed COVID protocols and everybody was hunky-dory and then you worry about it from there because you couldn't do anything about it later. And I think that's where I've got more issue with the shenanigans around the squad really at the minute is the strange emphasis across the field and um, being prepared, you know, being prepared to put the team in a situation to end up with the weirdness of of the eleven that went out on the field in Bulgaria, and they did wonderfully, and the formation worked. But we shouldn't really have got in a position where we were that inexperienced and that messed up. No, I totally agree, and kind of how the squad is is broken down into different areas is a great point. I mean, Paul Godding from At7 Puzzle has asked us that question, you know, in terms of how you build up a squad and and how many mid-defenders and midfielders. And I think there's the best way to do it is to have kind of two of every position um, and and trying to be as flexible as we can. But as you say, in the circumstance, we just could have chucked in (laughs) as many as as needed. Um, You know, why Chester, for example, wasn't in there. Um, I'm not having the Deutsch debate anymore because we're going around in circles on that one. But... um, you know that, that there's there are questions there. I mean, we saw someone mention Ryan Hedges. I'm not I'm not sure he's international quality myself, but um, you know Tom Bradshaw, um, Guion Ed, uh, what's his name? Guion Edwards. Um, is that his name? Guion. I've forgotten his name now. The lad who plays for Ipswich. He scored on the weekend, by mm-hmm. the way. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, he like and again, I'm not suggesting those. That's the answer, but you know, it it would have been worth a look given the circumstances. Um, 
Paul also asked about Dill at Levin Levitt making gigs his squad. Just as a quick yes or no on that one for for you, Ruth. I'm I'm saying no. Are you are you with me on that? I'm saying no because I I just can't see he's valuable enough in the um in a twenty-three. It wouldn't surprise me though if and there's a whole load of questions about next summer and how it's going to be organized and even if Europe's in a date to have it yeah. but i wouldn't surprise me if uefa has there's pressure on uefa to get, have more than 23 in a squad because of the situation and because of and, and and basically be able to get everyone in a bubble and then yeah. know you're a contained bubble and work with it so if you're looking at a squad that's more like say 28 for argument's sake then i think there might be space for him but i wouldn't take him in 23 no i'm, I'm with you on that one um I mean, we've talked about the balance of the squad and everything else. Um, Darren Lewis has asked, um, with everyone fully fit and informed, which is a, a different conversation on its own, <laughs> who would be who would be your starting eleven? I appreciate this wasn't in your warm up notes, Ruth. So I'm gonna Oof. I'm gonna answer this one first to give you some thinking time. Um, to to I mean I mean the one thing I will say here is that for me, the squad absolutely picks itself uh, the team sorry absolutely picks itself assuming we're sticking to this 4-2-3-1 formation that Giggs likes um, for me it has to be Hennessy in goal and we will talk about Hennessy in this situation uh, further further down the line but Roberts probably because he's got he's more defensively solid I think than Nico um, Mepham, Rodden, Davis at left back and then Alan and Ampadu is holding midfielders Bale on the right James on the left Ramsey's a 10 and then obviously Kiefer Moore up front I um I I just for me that side does very much pick itself. The only argument maybe would be does Brooks come in for James? But I mean, other than that, I think again, assuming everyone is fit, I think that team picks itself. I would I would agree with you. I mean, I I think Connor Roberts a few months ago wasn't playing well, but actually had a good start to the season. I think he's helped. I think he's helped himself solidify his role. In a back four, I think if you're going for a back five, there might be an argument that Nico serves that purpose better. Um, but I wouldn't argue with you on that starting eleven. I, ironically, I think you know it might. A lot of it will come down to who's seeing game time yeah. come next spring. Um, I know you know Ampadu, for example, seemed to be playing at Sheffield at the start of the season, then hasn't played as much. Um, so, you know, does that, does his play in time slide away? Uh, but I think all things being equal, let's assume that they're all fit. They're all seeing a reasonable amount of game time for their clubs. Then I, 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 I don't think there'd be that much argument about that starting 11. Dan James might be the one I worry about because uh, it's, he doesn't look a happy camper at Manchester United. And I think he's, um, you forget how young he is still, and uh, he's he's the one I worry that needs a bit of TLC. That said, I mean he did play against uh, the yes, uh, the dreadful Newcastle United the other night and uh, and did start. <laughs> so it, it was funny actually. At one point, I someone was kind of hacked Alan St Maximum down. And I was absolutely howling at the TV and like, you bastard, get him sent off. Um, absolutely disgraceful challenge, blah, 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 blah. And then the camera zoomed in on Dan James who'd kicked him. I was like, oh, it's little Dan. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Let him carry on. Um, just to, um, to to move on a, a little bit before I start having a tantrum about Manchester United. Um, 
the <laughs> Wrexham Carla's message us about the goalkeeping situation, which is something I feel like we talk about a lot, but it's something that really needs uh, airtime, so to speak, this time around. <laughs> because I do think, like you're talking about people playing regularly there, that is one of the big overriding features, I think, of our squad at the moment, is that when you actually look at that starting eleven how many of those players are pl- going to play regularly. I mean, realistically now, Mepham's been in and out at Bournemouth. Um, he's been in when they've played a back three. Rodden has obviously gone to Spurs. I, I, whether he'll start there, I don't know. Davies has just lost his spot, basically, to that Regulon or whatever you call him, lad from Real Madrid. Alan's injured. Ampadu's not playing, and when he is, he's playing at centre-half rather than in midfield. Bale played 10 minutes yesterday and the less said about that the better we don't really know what Ramsey's doing James is very much in and out because Man United is a bit of a mess and the only one who's kind of starting every week otherwise is is big key for more so you know I do wonder if part of the injury issues that we're having and have, and have turned up is because people aren't playing for their club and you're asking someone who's not done anything for months to then turn up and play three games in in basically a week um and that, I mean, that can't be good for anyone. I mean, looking at the Hennessy situation, it does. I do wonder if, as I as I kind of called for earlier, that Davies should have started the the England game. Be that as it may, I don't think you know uh, his lack of playing time is doing him any favours anyway. Obviously, he's not going to play now for four months. He definitely won't play in the November window. Um, and when he comes back, because Palace have signed Jack Butland on loan there's every chance that he then is third choice keeper. He may not even be fit enough to earn himself a move in January because of his injury. I wonder if, uh, at what point now does, do we, is Hennessy still number one? I think at the minute you have to, because there's just too many variables. Um, But then, you know, if Adam Davies comes in, well, he's he's probably going to end up playing the November games, isn't he, at the very least? Oh yeah, 100%. and then, assuming that goes well, and he continues to play well for Stoke, and then come March, it's very difficult to see what Hennessy is putting on the table, or can put on the table, that would then displace Adam Davies. That's the difficulty. Uh, but then, equally, Wayne has played incredibly well over the last, what, 18 months with next to no club play yeah um it it does make you wonder about putting him in a tournament situation though doesn't it because you can't help but ask the question that did having to play three 90 minutes in six days having not had any real game time for ages was it a factor in the injury and it's we don't know but the type of injury he had you can see how it might be a factor in the injury. And so therefore, does it make sense to put someone into a tournament situation where you've got bang-bang games? Um, if that's a risk, but you could say that of anyone. To yeah, be I, I mean, This is a dilemma. <laughs> yeah, and it, be- it has become, that because of the timing of it and the length he's likely to be out and then the consequences of that, it becomes a very, very difficult situation to kind of manage for gigs. I mean, let's say for argument's sake, Hennessy doesn't get a move in January and is not going to play first-team football and the next time he does plays for Wales in the next round of matches, which I think is going to be March time. I mean, 
and, and Davies, I don't want to say plays well, but, you know, doesn't drop a bollock for want of a better expression. You'd have to wonder if, uh, at what point are, the, are we then kind of undermining Davis by bringing him out of the situation? Because uh, assuming he does, you know, does all right, are we then unsettling a, a newly settled back four? I mean, it's such a such a difficult situation. And I just, I don't know, I, I really don't envy Ryan Giggs on that one. I mean, I think the saving grace is you, we've got a, We've got a keeper now who's playing at Stoke, playing well. I mean, 12 months ago, we basically didn't have any goalkeepers that were playing football. Yeah, um, so, I, you know, in that in that regard, I think we've, we've got to try and help Adam Davies get embedded because it would be naive to think that we might not face this problem come June. Yeah, I agree. even if even if Wayne Wayne is fit and healthy and seems to be you know somehow ends up playing some real football in the spring, even if he goes in as our lead goalkeeper in in June, you, it's we're still better off having an Adam Davies, who's been playing well for Stoke. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right in that sense, 100. percent Um, I, I just want sorry, just to change attack very quickly. I just want to thank James Weber for asking us the 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 question about the squad being balanced. Um. Which I probably I'm not really sure we came to a solid conclusion on. To be fair, but thank you for giving us uh, something else to talk about, James. Um, yeah, it's I mean it is very difficult, and I mean this does lead me on to uh, my next question, really, which is I always feel like when we do these pods, there is a new set of what ifs or what if that happens or should we do this? I feel like there's often a lot of kind of. Um, I don't want to say more questions than answers, but certainly new questions at the end of each squad. Um, and I and I just want to kind of raise a few either or questions for you, and we'll we'll mm-hmm. we'll bicker over the outcome. Um, are we doing really well? And Giggs is managing a squad that's still in transitions, with youngsters not quite achieving and the older players not quite at their best. Or are we aside not achieving our potential due to do much chopping and changeably defensively uh, being a case in point in in this window you know arguably um, do we need to focus more on the here and now in the build up to the euros um, or continue building to the future it's a i just i can't i don't know where i sit on on that particular side of the fence you wrote that down, didn't you? I did. <laughs> it was very predictable. <laughs> obviously, I've turned into a, like a three-year-old. Uh, do you think? <laughs> um, I actually think it's all of the above. I think we are still a squad in transition. <laughs> we, we are decisive as ever here on Coleman Had a Dream. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I actually don't think it has to be. An, I don't think those statements are ors. I think they can actually be ands. Yeah. I think you can be a squad in transition and still be over-tinkering. Um, we, we scraped through the Euro qualifying, after all. Um, it's not like we've gone, we would have gone into a summer tournament with any wonderful momentum. You know, we just got our place. Yeah. Um, and I think from Giggs's point of view, I think World Cup qualifying is is really the target. Um, but of course, there's the here and now, and you want to do well in the Euros. Um, so I think that I've come round to understanding and better appreciating his desire to bring the youngsters through. 
Um, he, um, like, he retired midway through Toshak's reign as a manager. Giggs retired from international football about midway through that. And so he would have seen the impact, at least somewhat firsthand, the impact that bringing a lot of those young players through that Flynn and Toshak did and has seen us reap the rewards for that. So I can understand how that makes sense. Um, and particularly with his background at United and, and you know what happened there with the young players, I can see how he's perhaps got faith in that when a lot of us might think it's a bit too much too soon. But I do think we have reached a point where we're, I think tinkering is a good word, like not letting, the, the, it's the centre-back partnership in particular that bothers me, but, but not being able to create partnerships. We've seen, for example, how um, Dan James's play has improved by just giving him and Ben Davies some time together yeah. and how Bale and Connor Roberts are working better by having some time together. Um, and I just worry that we're not allowing that to develop in central, in central D. That said, though, we're letting in relatively few goals. Um, you know, some of that is Wayne's play. We can't pretend he hasn't saved us on, uh, on occasion. Uh, but I think there's... I do think there's always a balance here, isn't there? We want, we want to be successful in the here and now. And we are actually amazingly successful in the here and now. You know, we've won, I was doing some number crunching. Um, if you go back to that kind of light bulb moment where Coleman sat on the bus after the 6-1 Serbia game. Yeah. We've played, we've played 52 competitive games since then. And we've won 27 of them. And it didn't turn around immediately. You know, there was a 12-month period after that game where things didn't, you know, weren't great immediately. Things probably started to pick up with the 1-1 in Belgium. But, you know, when you're winning twice as many competitive games as you're losing... It, you know, you do feel a bit churlish <laughs> complaining. And I think as a Welsh fan, we've got to remember how good it is right now. Um, I do think there's a tendency for us to worry about everything <laughs> and not just necessarily enjoy what's going on yeah. either. Um, so I think as a fan, you, you want to be successful in the here and now. We want to see that things are building to a point where we can go into those Euros and deliver. And we're not going to have an the success that we had at the last one that, you know, we'd be naive to think, but we want to go in and, go, and give a good show. Um, whereas I think in Giggs's mind, perhaps there is a lot more attention on the World Cup qualifying than we see in the immediate. And he's building more to that. I mean, it's so difficult. I mean, to answer the, my own ridiculously long-winded and obviously written down question, um, because part of me thinks we need to be better now because 
you're right, it hasn't always been this good, but the whole point of wanting to improve is that you keep getting better. You can't just say, we've qualified, we got to a semi-final, right, we're done for life now. We need, there still needs to be an improvement on, there needs to be an, a what happens next. So uh, there's a part of me that thinks it's not good enough that we can just sit back and say, well, we did well and we qualified and good for us. Equally, you know, and I, and I say that thinking because if we'd have played the way we've played in this window against Turkey, Switzerland or Italy in the Euros, I think we're going to get our asses handed to us. The flip side of that is, of course, is that they are Nations League games. We came away with four, four points from six. We're still undefeated. We still haven't conceded a goal. There's so many kind of ifs and buts. And, you know, one of the questions we got asked was, you know, was was Johnny's goal a kind of get-out-of-jail card? Um, and, and to an extent, uh, that's from Galois in France, and, and I, to an extent, I, I, I do think that, yeah, maybe it was. But if we keep doing it, it's not a get-out-of-jail card. It's the resilience of our team showing through. And it's so difficult to kind of find a balance and, you know, recognising that we are still a team in transition. I did some number crunching as well, um, which very rarely happens. So thank you for Dominic O'Shea, who suggested this. And I thought it was going to ruin my afternoon, but I actually found it quite interesting. Um, he asked, roughly speaking, how did the gigs, uh, sorry, Bale, Ramsey, Allen, Gunter, Hennessy, their first 20 or so games compared to um, James Brooks, Ampadu, Wilson, Mepham, their first 20 or so games. What is the kind of rough comparison of, of how they did in mm-hmm. terms of a transition? Because in my mind, the Toshak era was an absolute shambles. Um, we definitely lost more than we won, and, and that is the case. But I was actually quite surprised by the stats in that as a percentage, when rough, and again, I'm looking at an era, I didn't look at the first 20 games that Bale played and the first 20 mm-hmm. games that Ramsey played because they weren't at the same time. But roughly speaking, when those five players were in the squad and team at the same time, um, I started just for, because I know someone's going to complain otherwise, about the 1-0 friendly win in Denmark was when I roughly started, um, which is when Ramsey made his debut. Um, we won 44% of our games which I was actually quite surprised at. We only lost 52%, which, I mean, is still not great. But, I mean, give or take, that's actually mm-hmm. not, not that bad. Equally, I was expecting, looking at James Brooks, Ampadu, Wilson, Mepham, when those five, again, roughly speaking, have, have played their opening games together, that to be much higher, and it was only 46%. So part of me thinks, looking at that stat, well, actually, you know, Giggs has got possibly better players around the youngsters now than we did when Bale, Ramsey and etc. were coming through. So maybe he should be doing a bit better. The flip side of that, though, is that we have lost 33% of those matches compared to 52% in the other era, which I did think was quite interesting, which does show a certain shift in mentality, perhaps. Um, obviously, that means we, we only drew 4% of the, other, of the initial opening uh, 20 games, whereas in this circumstance, we've drawn 20, which again adds to what I'm thinking about uh, with regards to resilience. The thing that I did really need to kind of slap myself in the face with in terms of reality check is I looked then at the manager's opening 20 games Giggs is just manages 19th so again not perfect stats like Gary Speed well I couldn't believe that only managed I think it was only managed 10 games for Wales in the end which is um, broke my heart when I was reading that but um just again roughly speaking Giggs has managed 19 games has won nine lost seven and drawn three which when you actually think about it considering the the games we've lost um, two of those are, are friendlies, the Albania game and the 
England game. And the Spain game. And the Spain game, yeah, that's true, actually. Um, Coleman won six of his first 20. Um, obviously, Gary Speed is the, is, the, is the outlier in a good way. He was five and five, won five, lost five. Um, but again, Toshak won seven of his, of his opening 20 games. Um, and Hughes, just four. And I and it did make me think that you know for a manager to come in in a in a transitionary time, win basically half of his games, um, only lose seven of nineteen. When you look at the friendly teams we've played, all right, Albania being the exception, but we're in a qualifying group with the World Cup finalists. You know when you actually kind of look at it in perspective that's actually a really good record. And we are going through a transition. He is bringing through young players. So I, I think to go back to my original question as I'm waffling away here, I think in terms of are we a ch- side not achieving our potential? Well, I, perhaps not because we haven't got a hugely deep squad. I think we like to think we have and we've got some flair players who are talented. But I, d- I don't think we've got a deep squad in terms of, you know, France have got a deep squad. We've just got some good young players coming through, and and I think we need to kind of temper our expectations a bit for for sure. Um, so I do think there's an element that maybe we are actually achieving our potential, which is we've qualified for the Euros, we're winning games, we're doing well, we're top of our champ- uh, Nations League group. You know, things c- could things get better. I mean, of course they could. We always want to improve. That's how we qualify for the World Cup. But you know, looking at statistics like that, it does make you realise that he has used this latest generation of players to kind of keep us moving forward which I did which I did think was was positive um I'm just going to ask you one more which I definitely obviously of course have written down um of an either of all situation can I just I just want to add sorry I just want to add something to to that um it is difficult to not feel churlish if you've you've had two away competitive games you've come back with four points you're sitting top of a a group um we're in a good position to get a playoff place for the uh, for the world cup there's a whole lot of shenanigans about how that works with the nation's league which i'd be happy to talk you through (laughs) if you want (laughs) but suffice to say we're in a good position at the minute um if you do want to give us a a guarantee give us a quick rundown of that do you want me to to go through that quickly yeah because i'm not entirely sure i get it Okay, so the World Cup qualifying will be 10 groups. The 10 winners go through automatically. There are three more places available to European countries. So we're sending 13 teams in total. So those three places are going to come from playoffs involving the 10 teams that are runners-up in their World Cup qualifying groups and two more that qualify through the Nations Leagues to make 12 players, 12 teams. You've got your hand up. <laughs> I, have, I have a quick question. So there's 13 places, the 10 group winners. So there's two teams are going to come from the playoff, uh, from the qualifiers. No. no. The tw- there's, you've, you're trying to make 12 teams for the playoffs. 10 of those 12 are going to be the second place teams in the World Cup qualifying groups. Yeah. The last two are coming from the Nations League games that we're playing now. If a team wins its Nations League group, 
but hasn't already either secured a place because they've won their qualifying group or secured a playoff place because they're second in their qualifying group, then if they won a Nations League group, they've got a shout at being one of those two players, uh, one of those two teams. So first of all, they'll look at the teams that won in the A League right. to see if any of them haven't either qualified directly or already qualified for the playoffs. But all things being equal, you'd expect the teams that win their Nations League groups to have already qualified. Does that shift down then to the, if you've come second, if, exactly. if you're in League A, no, no. it's just winners of the group? No. It's just winners. This is where it helps us. Because then, assuming those four get through, the next two, the two would come from the B winning teams. Right. And at the minute, Scotland is just pipping us on goals scored to be the best B league winning team at the moment. This is mental. We're second place. We're second place in the B leagues of that in that regard. Oh, so at the minute, at the minute, we're sitting in six. We're like the sixth name on the list of who would get a playoff place via the Nations League. The first four come from the A tier, and then we're sixth because we're just behind Scotland as the second best B tier leading team. So I have one more um, fo follow-up question. Sorry, yeah. I, again, I've got my hand up. Right. Like we're in school mode. I can't, I can't help myself. Um, so I know exactly. Excuse me, miss. Can I go to the toilet? Um, yeah, um, if so, that means there's ten teams in the playoff plus the two from the Nations League. So there's yeah. a twelve. There's twelve teams in the playoffs, but then there's only yes. two places available. Three, three places. So how do we get from so 10 to 3? They're splitting, they're splitting to three groups of four. Right. Three groups of four teams. And then, so there'll be a semi-final game and a final game in each of those four mini groups. Right. But then, and then the winners of each of, each of those four little groups, uh, the winner of those four in each little group, and there's three little groups, they become the 11th, 12th, and 13th qualifiers. So if we come second in our group, let, forget the Nations League, I, I think I yes. understand, but if we come second in our group, we will have like a one-off semi-final. If we're second in our World Cup qualifying group, we'll have a, a one-off semi-final, a one-off final, hopefully. Okay. So it's still two games, I guess, before the it's playoffs still two games. would have been yeah. home and away it's, leg, but it's not yes. the same difference, but relatively. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, the bit I'm not clear on is how they decide who gets home advantage in those. Um, my final question is, how, who's the 13th team? So if there's 10 winners, 10, mm -hmm. runners, 10 runners up, and the two teams yep. from the Nations League, that is 12. Yep. And you said there were 13 yes. teams. Well, no, there's 13, so, there's 13 going to Qatar total. Oh, I see. What the the, so 10, the 13th is the, the winner 10, of the... The 10 that win the, win the World Cup qualifies direct, and then the other three that come through this very convoluted playoff. <laughs> right, okay. I do, I do get it now. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, so, so to all intents and purposes... So then, long, story short is, long story short is we're probably in quite a good place to get a playoff place at least. Right. 
I have no idea what the yeah. question why I asked you to start this whole conversation <laughs> off. Uh, but we'll move on because that did make that is the most sensible explanation I've heard of this uh, whole shit show <laughs> since I've started thinking about it. So um, we will we will move on a little bit uh, from that. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask about the kind of bigger picture stuff is: Do we think we need gigs to make a decision on a playing squad? Um, i.e. partnerships and I don't mean the squad in general I mean kind of the players on the pitch or do we uh, do we think that his kind of lack of predictability is actually a good thing and his flexibility as a manager is is handy and I think it maybe throws other teams oppositions plans off because there is more often than not a surprise in our selection um, I do I am concerned about creating the defensive partnership um, I mean, I have to keep reminding myself that um, Rodden and Mepham have played together more under 21s than I, you know, than I keep thinking about. So they're perhaps not as unfamiliar with each other. Um, but equally, Lockyer has made a good case for being in that starting pair. And I think you've, you've got to find out what, what if those are your, your key three, what is actually the best combination? And I do, I do feel like we've been juggling that around without trying to help it stick, really. Um, I, I think Giggs is becoming a little bit more pragmatic on this question. I mean, he did pontificate early on that, you know, oh, people had to be playing and I was, you know, I was only going to use players that were playing. And, you know, he used that as a justification for not picking Ash, I don't know what, about 12 months ago now. Um, and yet he is clearly playing players who have relatively little game time. So I think he's had to kind of row back on that um, on that scenario. You know, if, if Ramsey, I mean, we obviously don't want this pattern, but if Ramsey barely plays for Juventus this year, he's not not going to the Euros. You know, we're not we're not going to shut that door on that basis. Yeah. Um, yet, yet there are players where good, thorough combative 90 minutes regularly have put them in the shop window you know last year joe morell's time at lincoln was an obvious an obvious example of that where Giggs was prepared to look at a division one player who was just getting regular play and could and could serve a purpose um i do think we've been a little bit guilty lately bale and ramsey have either been missing or been below par of relying on a triad of kind of Brooks, Wilson and James, and then later added Keith Moore to that mix. And Brooks, Wilson and James are either not playing as well as they were, have been injured or are out of favour with their managers or don't have a club or, you know. So I think we've now perhaps got more, more of the key players slightly unsettled than we had previously um do you think i'm sorry that's where my that's where my concern lies i just want to interrupt you there one sec because you're right you know if bale or ramsey aren't playing they're obviously still going to go they're still going to start but does it get to a point maybe where because of his lack of i don't want to say lack of message but like lack of clarity perhaps it gets to the point where he does drop bale 
or let's say for argument's sake, and he doesn't start him, um, but then he doesn't follow that sort of thinking through with some other players. Like Josie Wales has got in touch. He said, do Wales fans feel more at ease that Bale and Ramsey are missing? And I think I would argue that we do. But at some point, does he drop the wrong person? Like he's dropped Gunter and realistically Gunter's not going to the Euros. Um, is, is he, does he get to the point where he maybe drops the wrong person and then this lack of clarity maybe, I don't want to say blows up in his face because that's a bit dramatic, but certainly changes the way that the squad and perhaps the, the nation as fans feel about him and the situation? I mean, I think that's a risk, but I think that's a risk you take as a manager at any point, you know, as to who who's, you know, you look, you, there's been plenty of international teams over the years that have, have searched to shoehorn players into teams that, where combinations didn't work together and um, you know, we we did it when we we moved effectively moved Mark Hughes into into midfield, so that you know we could include we could include him in the in the team. Um, so I think there's risks that you take as a manager all the time, um, and there will come a point where Bale and Ramsey do not merit their place in our team. You know, hopefully it's a few years away, but there will come that point, yeah. um, and. You know, someone's going to have to be the manager that does that. Someone's going to have to be the manager that doesn't call up Gareth Bale. Um, but I don't think that's a a risk, especially now. I think that's just a risk of being a manager, and particularly of an international team, because you have, relatively speaking, so little time together, and you have, you know, your, your squads inevitably do change from one window to the next just through injury and form, regardless of bigger picture things. Um, and I think you are always going to be held up for those sorts of errors. And I think it's a lot easier to do it to an inter- Their opportunities to make that mistake are so more focused than a club manager that's putting out teams for 60 odd games a year yeah I think that's the difference isn't it the windows are so small and so mm-hmm. pressurized and again I think that's perhaps one of the reasons we as fans are perhaps re- reacting the way we are in this instance is that you know we've just qualified for the Euros we, sh- we feel like we should be on an upward trajectory and here we are you know question our style of play and it and it is just because you only get your three games you know in, in such a small space of time it's you know you're trying to make Everyone, whether be it the players, the staff, the management, everyone's trying to make a judgment ultimately on on what's going on on the field. But it's in such a small window. Um, I mean, it, it is it is really difficult. And like you say, you know, someone's going to be the manager that drops bail. Um, I just, yeah, I, I just wonder if he needs some clarity. Certainly, as a defensive partnership, I think he needs to make that decision. I think he needs to stop chopping and changing. I I, I do think that he needs to. Um, as best he can not keep bringing players into the squad um, again it's difficult like you say with COVID but he needs to stop bringing players into the squad for in inverted commas experience um, Woodburn and I've said it before Woodburn, Johnson, Levitt would be in that category for me because um, I don't think it solves any problems I don't think it's doing anything and, and equally I do think we are a, a, a squad to an extent lacking in some sort of vocal leadership type character and I, 
and I think that comes from experience and I know that Bale has that aura and presence about him but I don't think he's a shouter and an organiser and I think Rodden definitely has that in him that was one of the things that I thought was actually best about that video when Johnny scored is that he all celebrated and people started jogging back and jogging to the sidelines to celebrate and you could hear Joe Rodden say boys don't walk back walk back and like he was <laughs> first thing he's thinking about slowing the game down and I and I uh, you know that is one of the reasons for me he's such a special player I think but I do think we miss that and I do think that maybe that is and he recognises and that, that is why Gunter keeps getting in the squad is because he may be that sort of leader um, off the pitch admittedly that is kind of tying things together so I do think he needs to make a decision on on leadership moving forward as well um, you know it would be bizarre if for example Chris Gunter makes every squad between now and the Euros but then doesn't go because we take Nico and, and Connor, which I think is probably the most likely outcome anyway. Um, taking a third left back would be a uh, third right back. Sorry, would be daft. Um, but then we are lacking leaders. It is a really interesting situation, and I, and I do think that making that decision is key um, in terms of um, us moving forward, but also us kind of being a bit more solid on the pitch. Yeah, I think there's. There's an impact here, isn't there, of the the use and inexperience of those players in in their ability to roll with the punches and take the bad times and pick themselves up again. And I think that's where the senior players really um, really can make a difference of just keeping everybody on a slightly more even keel. I think age. I do think age and experience really helps you level out life's emotions. Um, and so I think there's a worth to having the likes of the Gunters of the world around. I mean, I would be taking him to Baku as a technical advisor or something personally, yeah. even if you're not taking him as a member of the squad, because I think he's invaluable. Um, so the... My concern from the squad sort of bloatedness and tinkering point of view is more what I was saying earlier in the the sort of ratios across different parts of the pitch and this love affair that, that Gig seems to have with youthful midfielders at the expense of having people in the in the squad to actually build some to build a squad. You know, you need we need to be going with four centre backs. And we don't we pro we know who three of them are, but we probably don't know who the fourth is, and that's that's a problem. We don't know who the leading pair is amongst that four. Um, we've probably got a well, we've got a plan A up front. You've got Hal as an option when you just want to take Kiefer off and put Hal in. But what happens when you want to play that way? You want to play a big man up front, and Kiefer's got a yard sitting on two yellow cards how do you address that we could go to a 3-4-3 against Bulgaria with the players that we had and it worked but what if what if all of the planning had been for a big man up front game and Kiefer was on two yellow cards do you know what I mean I just I just think we're we're bloated I keep coming back to that word we're bloated in the center when actually that's where our strength is. So we actually probably don't need to be tinkering there as much. And we've got to get solidity at both other ends of the field. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. For me, the the whole key for more, what do we do with him in that circumstance, given that's how we're kind of geared to play, this has made me feel a bit better about that because Giggs showed a willingness to switch to two up front effectively um, with, with, a, with the false nine. Um, and I think that would suit us when we had your Ramses, your Bales, etc. there. So I do feel a bit more comfortable with that now. I do think that the ultimate problem around all of that, and I mentioned this briefly last time, is more the way we play when we go for the big man up front situation where I don't think we're getting close enough to Kiefer Moore. And I think there's Mm. a lack of trust, perhaps, in the players that he's going to hold up the ball and, and... you know, all the time and do a lot. And I, and again, I said this last time, so they're not getting round him. Um, and I, yeah. I, the other thing to go with that is the yellow card situation. The, the yellows that he picks up have a, I don't want to be harsh on him because he's been fantastic for us since he's come in, but the, the yellows he picks up seem to have an air of inevitability about them. And I, and I do wonder if, you know, he needs to recognise that he can't be as physical as he is in the championship when he plays international football. I mean, he almost, you know, ripped a hole in the Irish bloke's head at one point. I mean, it, it instantly blew up. Um, and it was an accident. I appreciate it. And that is the way he plays. But we can't go into a tournament or a situation, whether it's Nations League, um, big qualifiers, whatever, where... We, where there's every chance that, for example, the third group game in, in the Euros, there's every chance that Kiefer Moore isn't going to be there because he's probably picked up two yellows before that. Um, and, I, and I do think that is, again, latterly something that needs to be addressed. The flip side to that is, uh, having seen the adaptability of gigs and the, and the squad and everything, I do think it means that, that I do feel more confident about what that plan B is and when Hal can come into that and, you know, imagine that we have Bale playing um, in that kind of attacking role as well. I, I do think that uh, that has certainly put my mind at ease anyway. I don't disagree with that. I'm still concerned that we don't have a... What happens if Kiefer Moore picks up a bad injury in March? Then you for know, me, and we And we haven't looked at an alternative... But then I would argue that the this is our alternative. The 3-4-3 three, three with a false nine, which could be Bale, um, which, you know, or we could have Bale as one of the kind of forward players and Hal plays off him as the false nine and he can get the pace of James Brooks, Wilson, whatever around him. Um, and, you know, you throw a Ramsey into that mix as well. I do think, you know, I, I wouldn't say it, it would be my first choice because we are ultimately then changing the way we play. But the fact that we showed that we have the adaptability to do that um, I, I do think is positive and the, and the players did adapt to it well. In fact, I, I, you could even make the argument they probably looked better in, in terms of style of play, at least, against Bulgaria than we did in the other two games. I won't deny that, but I think there was a drop in the opposition as well, which we have to be conscious of. Um, now, I, the concern for me is that we just, we've built an apparent plan A but it hinges entirely on a player and we haven't looked at options for a replacement for that particular player when we know the style of play he has is going to pick up yellow cards, as you've quite rightly said, and you're one injury away from from it not working. And I think that's, for me, that's one of the things that's been missing from this series of games in the autumn is not looking to test out someone else in that role. 
just as an emergency backup, just so you know you've got that capability. I guess the the logic would be, I've thought about this a lot, especially because of the Doidge situation. I think Giggs is thinking there is no point bringing a player into the squad to be an imitation of Kiefer Moore. I think if Kiefer can't play, then plan B would be Hal, who can sort of hold it up, but is a bit more dynamic. And if Hal can't, if it's not working with Hal or whatever, then plan C, if you like, would be to go to this change of formation because he doesn't want to bring in a player. And I'm these, I'm just, you know, I'm just hypothesizing, but he doesn't want to bring in a player that he thinks isn't going to raise the level of the squad, is just a target man, be that Vokes, who he obviously doesn't fancy anymore, or Doidge. Um, whether I agree with that or not is a different kettle of fish, but I do think there is a plan A, B, C. Um, I just think he was also quite unlucky in the sense that Moore got injured-ish. Then he did his. Then he's obviously got two bookings, so he misses. And in between all of that, Hal's broken his arm. You know, a couple of days before. Um, so we've we've instantly gone. The, the plan B is out the window. We're instantly on Plan C. And I do think to give Giggs his credit. I do think he'd be desperately unlucky, and we would be that in the World Cup, in the Europe, uh, European uh, Championships, we would end up more getting suspended for a game or seriously injured than Hal doing the same, and then we're on to Plan C. And that, I do think that would be desperately unlucky. Agreed. I just don't like the fact that we haven't investigated options for the very unlucky circumstances, yeah. which, you know... We have a way of homing in on. <laughs> we would find the way for that to be the case. <laughs> um, before we uh, continue our argument, um, I just want to make one more uh, final step forward. Um, just to mention the Wales women's game. Um, very, very disappointed that BBC Wales have gone back on their word to not have all their home games live on BBC Two Wales. Um, they said that that was going to be their thing. They've chosen the kickoff times, uh, 4.30, which does strike me as daft, um, as the host broadcaster, and then have chosen not to broadcast uh, the Pharaohs game. They're showing the uh, two England friendlies on BBC Four uh, at that time as well, which is very disappointing. So um, there's a petition that we've gone r- that's gone round. So if you haven't signed that yet, please do. It's the it's the pinned uh, tweet on our Twitter page. Um, if you want to email feedback.wales at bbc.co.uk, um, I think the emails that are going through are, are, are likely to have an effect. So um, if you do want to get involved in that um, cause, please, please do. I think it's super important given the circumstances for the Wales women that uh, this is looked into. I think we are a week and a day away when we're recording this uh, from the from the game. So um, again, please uh, consider signing the petition if you haven't already. Um, for the sake of asking a stupid question, Ruth, what do you think about the situation? Oh, it's incredibly frustrating, particularly when, as the host broadcaster, they've they have control over the time of the game. The game is organised to suit their schedule, and then they can decide they're not showing it. I just, I don't. That's a, it. I just don't see how one can lead to the other. That's just, it's just wrong yeah. that a broad a broadcaster can determine a time for a game and then have no intention of broadcasting it. Uh, I do. I mean, I'm frustrated. They said this is what they were going to do, and they're going back on it. I, I think the women's game at home is gaining such momentum that you'd think you'd want to put it on 
at every opportunity and yeah. you know they've chosen they've chosen a time of day when it can clearly go into their schedule without having a ludicrous impact on their normal programming um and i also don't like the idea that you can you can kind of pick and choose opponents i don't like why wouldn't you want to build some momentum for your audience for the norway game by having an audience for the pharaohs game that doesn't make sense to me either you know let's let's show a game where the hopefully you know we we've got a chance of scoring some goals we're going to you know you can you can make it almost a a taster for the norway game and and build some momentum that way too um and I'm, I'm just really disappointed and i i don't quite i don't understand why um the the BBC wouldn't, you know, would be willing to show England's friendly games and not one of our competitors' games. It's just a completely wrong priority. But then we've seen with BBC Wales, they've done some weird and wonderful things like, you know, Ashley Williams scored, <laughs> scored the winner in yeah. Bulgaria after all, didn't they? Yeah. Um, and it's, <laughs> I mean, so I don't think they're paying a great deal of attention, frankly. No, and, that's and I'm what, not impressed. Yeah, that's always been my take on it: is that they've never really paid that much attention, and this just highlights that. And it's frustrating that this is the game that get cut. It's a massive game in the context of the group. Like, uh, you know, their kind of get out of jail card is that they say that it's on, um, it's on the radio and it's on the internet. But like I, I said to, you know, I was, I was talking with my wife about it, and I said to Joy that. It's okay. Yes, they are technically showing it, but the chances of someone coming across that as an interest of you know, oh, I wonder what this is, is almost zero because that won't be on the main BBC Sport page. It'll be on BBC Wales under women's football. You'll have to go and seek it out. You'll have to know where it is, and you know, I, I mean, not everyone a has you know good enough internet, and certainly not necessarily facilities to to live stream football matches into your house. Um, from the BBC Sport website, so you're, you're taking away a big chunk of people who might be interested in that anyway. To to put on top of that, I cannot abide this thing, and it went tweeted today, and I've and I've and I retweeted it when I was just like, it's not called BBC Men's Football, it's BBC Sport. And I was just like, it's so easy to come up with these platitudes, and it's so easy to say we keep we're focusing on the women's game and all this other stuff. It's so easy to do that. For the games you know are going to get a big audience, like an England game or you know whatever else, it's 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 not just about the big England games. It's not just about the big women's teams and players. It's if you're supporting women's sport, you're supporting women's sport across the board, and this is one of the across the board situations. And I think that it is so frustrating when they're banging the drum. And then your actions don't match your words because you just look stupid as much as anything else. And that's how I feel about the situation. I feel that they look stupid because they've said all these things. They're not following up on it. And, and that is my real frustration. And I think there's a chance that Wales could be qualifying here for their first you know, ever tournament. And we're on that road. And people who have a real interest in it are being deprived the opportunity to see it. And that absolutely staggers me. Um, anyway, I will uh, I will hop off my soapbox as I've just realised how long we've been recording for. Um, for the for the sake of asking a, a silly question, do you have anything you want to add? Um, I, th- I think we should stop there. 
I think I think for the sake of our listeners falling asleep at the wheel or uh, or anything, I I would agree. Um, well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. There is a yes, we've we've talked about a bloated squad. You now have a bloated pod. Um, <laughs> I didn't write that one down, ladies and gents. I came with that with that one just off the top of my head. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening. Thank you as ever for your time, Ruth. Um, we will be back, no doubt, to talk about the women's game uh, in a week or so. Uh, so good luck to the girls for that um, and obviously there will be more output from us on the Welsh Football Fans website to so keep an eye out for that as well um, thank you for listening thank you Ruth for your time and we will speak to you soon good night bye bye